Hi, I'm Richard Sefton and this is my podcast, State of Mind with Richard Sefton. I'd like to explore anxiety today. What is anxiety? I'd like to find out what may cause it, what may feed it, what we could maybe do to reduce it. Why has there been a massive rise over the last few years in people seeking help with social anxiety? So I thought, who could I speak to about all of this? Surely no better than clinical psychologist Dr. Claire Hayes. Claire, how are you? I'm great, Richard, and thank you very much for inviting me to talk about my my favourite subject and my passion. <laughs> favourite subject. Thank you for joining mm-hmm. me. Where, where, where are you joining me from this morning? So you might guess from my accent, I'm from Ireland and I'm actually living in Ireland. I live close to Dublin and as I'm not sure how familiar you are with Ireland, but most not people enough. know of Dublin. But there's so many fabulous places, so not enough. So I hope certainly that you come and you visit and you explore. It's a great country. Yeah, I'd like to. It's like uh, like yesterday with the sad news of, of, of you know, the, with Queen Elizabeth and watching her come through Scotland. I was watching that and thinking, God, the, the scenery is beautiful. I need to see yes. much more of Scotland. And it's the same with Ireland. I've, I live in North Wales. And so Wales is my uh, garden, I suppose. You know, I drive all around Wales and I love it to pieces. Mm-hmm. And I love England as well. But Scotland and Ireland, I need to see much more of. Well, I did a train journey around Northern Wales when I was about 25. I was doing some training in London and Mm. I took a week's holiday and it was just fabulous. So you have beautiful, beautiful scenery there. And oh my goodness, the people were so friendly. I youth hosteled Mm -hmm. and it was just lovely. So I have have great memories of Northern Wales. That sounds brilliant. Youth hosteling around there. I've been past, you know, I drive past a few of the youth hostels and I think, God, wouldn't it be exciting to just, you know, but I feel like I'm I'm too old now. So <laughs> I miss that chance. <laughs> I miss the chance of like backpacking. Yeah, and... I know what you mean. Although if you go um, youth hosteling in Switzerland, and um, that was the only other place I, I went, um, there are people of all ages, like right into their 80s, 90s who youth hostel. Oh, Mind okay. you, they're, they're very expensive. You know, I just, I kind of suggest start with Wales first. Yeah, well, yeah but I'm at the, I, I like a nice hotel bed now with my own room and <laughs> okay. dormitory or whatever. <laughs> Right, yes. <laughs> so as I said in my introduction, I'd like to find out all about anxiety today. So what is anxiety? I mean, can, can well, that be answered? Yes, yes, it can. And I suppose, you know, what we've been talking about might have created anxiety for some people. They might be thinking, oh my gosh, a holiday. Wow, how am I going to get the time to do that? How am I going to get the travel tickets? How am I going to get organised? What if there's COVID? Or they might be thinking, youth hostel, oh my gosh, my kids are heading off. What if the beds are dirty? What if people, what if they don't get enough sleep? What if? So really anxiety is a response that we all have. It's a very basic primitive response to danger and or to what we perceive to be danger. And that's the, the second part is the most interesting one because we're all individuals. So what you might perceive to cause you danger, Richard, would be very different or could be very different to what might cause me or someone else. So we know that our we've a primitive instinct. Now I'm going to keep talking, so <laughs> so please feel free to cut across me at no, any point in time. Yes, okay, yes. great. So we, we have a, an inbuilt mechanism, if you like, like a, a, an inbuilt safety mechanism to let us know when we're in danger. And this was really important for our ancestors when they were going out to hunt bears. So mm. if they saw a huge, massive, big bear that they thought was going to be too big and would kill them, their body immediately produced adrenaline, which gave them the excess energy to either fight the bear or to run as fast as they could to get out of there. Mm. And the difference now is our bodies still respond to external stimuli like a massive big bear or 
a train coming really quickly or somebody just turning and shouting at us or, or whatever it is that's we it, that is an external threat in this our bodies respond in the same way so our heart rate speed up we get a sick feeling in our stomach which is a physiological response to all of this adrenaline but the difference is we don't run normally and we don't fight we tend to freeze and trap all of that stuff so we can build up and up and up and then the other big difference is that mechanism can be triggered just as quickly by what we think so if we're standing in london at the tube station waiting for a train to come in and we suddenly think Am I too close to the edge? What if somebody pushed against me accidentally? What if somebody was ready to to harm me? And you've just heard <laughs> <laughs> you just heard Sonny, the dog saying hello. So to somebody. Hi, so Tom. if you so if you'd like me to to stop and rewind, if you want to edit that no, out, not or, at all. And okay, you, great. you could have just blamed it on mine, on me, and pretended it was my dogs because it could have okay. easily have been it, my dogs. It could have, could have been yours. Be. Okay, next. well, you know, I, th- I think he's going to be quiet from now on. But anyway, it's, it's lovely for him to, to make an appearance. But Absolutely. that, again, is a great example because, you know, we, we talked about this before we started in terms of what would happen if. Mm-hmm. And I was I felt very relaxed that you were OK if there was if, if Sonny started to bark. You said, mm-hmm. that's OK, you have a dog, too. But if you had been different, Richard, if you had been, oh, gosh, Claire, that's going to completely ruin the, the podcast. We're going to have to start again. It's going to be. Well, then, as soon as I heard Sonny bark a few moments ago, I would have felt very anxious because I would have thought, oh, my gosh. And, you know, this isn't professional. And what if Richard is, is, you know, cross with me? So anxiety is a response to either real triggers of danger, external triggers and or what we think. Okay, so Sonny barked at the right time, really, then. Mm -hmm. Yes. Perfect. Brilliant dog. Absolutely. Well trained. <laughs> yeah, I, I give him a treat afterwards. You were saying about the, uh, the the primary responses and stuff. I read that um, if we can see, uh, the further we can see um, can help reduce anxiety because of a primal response to, to seeing no danger on the horizon, seeing no danger in the distance. Is there is there, is there truth in that then? I suppose, I suppose there would be with that. Oh, that's a lovely way of describing it. Yeah, that's really, really nice. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, there's sayings, we don't know what's around the next corner. Mm. And what I'm realizing in, in my life as well as is, is in people I'm privileged to work with, a lot of what causes anxiety is fear of the unknown and uncertainty and and we what we think might be our own inability to cope with whatever comes around the corner. So mm. if we can see as far as the eye can see and we can see, yes, there's no danger. Well, then we might feel more relaxed, but I'm saying we might because, again, it comes back to the individual because somebody else might not think that because they might think, well, maybe something's going to drop from the sky or maybe there'll suddenly be maybe not a disaster of an earthquake. But but certainly this countries have had tsunamis and will have tsunamis. And we know that sometimes they calm can come before a storm. So somebody who is looking out at, you know, a, a beautiful beach where they can see for miles and miles and miles. Mm. I might feel relaxed in that situation and, and you might, Richard, but somebody else might suddenly start to think, what if it's not like this tomorrow? And what if somebody comes and spoils it? Or what if a car just zooms up? So those thoughts, mm-hmm. again, may trigger anxiety. 
So every everyone's anxiety is completely different to the next person's? I think the causes of anxiety can be very different, but I think our experiences mm. of it can be quite similar. Mm. So we can experience it, as I said, the physiological response. So our heart racing, sick feeling in our stomach, clammy hands, sweaty. Some people want to go to the toilet. Some people aren't able. Some people might soil themselves, uh, depending on the, on the extent of, of mm. the, the anxiety. And, and it's interesting because we have that component of anxiety, if you like. And then there is the consequences. So then immediately afterwards, if we're not familiar with what has just happened, then we might get into blaming ourselves. So if you think of, of a performer, whether a sports person or a musician. Or That's so funny because I was just thinking of a performer. I was thinking of myself because I'm also in a band. <laughs> and ah, then you said okay. it. <laughs> Okay, well then, there you go. Then you know, so, and lots and lots of people who have been, um, you know, really top class musicians have talked to me about this. So you you know this, I'm not Richard. One of those so top class musicians. So, but. yeah, but, but going on, people have told me that they need the, the sense of maybe jitteriness or mm -hmm. the sense of, you know, ah, oh, this is a big occasion. And they, they, they need that. They need the adrenaline to perform better. And and then they get on and they forget get about it and they you know they, they, they just get caught into the, the music in the moment. But if they've had a moment where for whatever reason they freeze, so we've talked about fight, flight, freeze. So with the anxiety that they forget their words, they forget what they were going to do, they forget what they're going to say, then the whole experience that they've just been through can become a really difficult trigger for the future. So the next time they're invited to do something in that location or a similar experience, whatever it is, as soon as they start to think about it, they might think, what if I mess up again? And they might have a tendency to exaggerate the consequence of what happened. I made a complete fool of myself. Nobody enjoyed what I did. It, I ruined it. And there's a pattern I found with people who experience anxiety. Uh, we, we all experience it, but people who experience it a lot. They're usually very bright. They might not consider themselves to be very bright, but in my experience, they usually are. They're usually perfectionists. They don't like making a mistake. They like to get everything right. They minimize what they do well. They worry about what they think they're not going to do well. When they're little, the main relationships often with their mother because their dad can be away for whatever reason. And as they get older, they can be quite controlling because they want things to be a certain way because they feel better. Mm. And if it, maybe expand on that a little bit. If I jump into my car before I leave home and I'm just on automatic pilot and I'm in a rush and then I suddenly think, did I lock my front door? Well, I might feel a little bit anxious. So to make myself feel better, I'll get out and check and then I feel better. Mm. But then if I get back in my car and I think I didn't really lock it properly, then I might feel anxious again and then I might get out and check to feel better. So with anxiety, we can do kind of made one of two main things to feel better. So one is to do something to feel better, whether that's eat sugar, drink alcohol, perform as well as we can or push yourselves higher, higher, higher or look for reassurance or, or something. And that can develop into obsessive compulsive disorder because we can tend to do more and more and more of whatever it is that did start out by making us feel better. But the feeling better stuff can just reduce in, in quality and length of time so that we need more and more and more. So that's one thing. 
The other thing that we can do is we can avoid. So you find people, say, performing. So I'm never going to go and play that song again or that particular piece of music or I'm never going to be in that situation again or I'm never going to do whatever it, it was again because as soon as they start to think about it, the level of anxiety can be so severe and the physiological symptoms so hard, the sick feeling in the stomach, the clammy hands, all of that, really difficult that the person decides, you know what, I'm never going to do it again. And then they feel better because they're avoiding it. and But that's a slippery slope. So you have young children who don't want to be away from their parents and we have separation anxiety. So they feel better when they're with their parents. They feel anxious, upset when they're in school. And then if they start to be allowed to stay at home, well then, then the whole thing can spiral. And that can, if we take that further along the line, people can feel better by staying at home and not wanting to go into work. And COVID was challenging in lots of ways and it was also great in lots of ways. But people who were experiencing anxiety learned, some of them, that they felt better when they were in their own little cocoon, away from everybody, away from the possibility of getting COVID, away from the possibility of upsetting anybody, away from the possibility of being hurt by anybody. And now that the restrictions have been practically completely lifted around the world it's very difficult for some people to get back out there because as soon as they start to think of whatever a situation is they might feel anxious and then not want to feel anxious so stay wherever they are it's funny because well i'm I'm, assume, I, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone will do this whilst 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 listening to this this episode hopefully um because it's what i'm doing as you're talking i'm linking it to things and behaviors and thoughts and feelings that i have um and yeah it's all the, the first time I, I i i knowingly suffered with anxiety and when i when i when i'm when i'm saying anxiety i'm talking about a panic attack i suppose panic mm-hmm was during COVID, when we had COVID, me and my partner, and we sat on the sofa <clears throat> and, I, and I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And we called the ambulance and we both held each other's hand because we assumed, because what we'd seen on the news was once you call the ambulance, if you've got COVID, that means you go into hospital. And when you go into the hospital with COVID, you don't come out. So we just yes. sat there crying, silently crying, holding each other's hands. And the, the ambulance came and he did all my, took all my measurements, all my sats and everything. And he said, um, he said, see I feel that he may have phrased this wrong but he went it's all in your head okay. <laughs> and I was like oh okay, okay. so I knew yes. what he meant by that but I thought if I was somebody else I might have taken that yes, maybe slightly absolutely. slightly wrong but I thought okay this is the first time I, I knowingly have suffered it properly with, with with a proper panic attack um and that was that was only what two two years ago yes so I've done quite yes. well to get to 40 and not <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting how you you picked up on on the ambulance person's use of language, because I'm going to do the same with yours. Mm. Language is so, so important. And you you might have noticed I've been deliberately saying about people who experience anxiety. I haven't been saying people who are anxious. And I see a very important difference. We all experience anxiety and some people experience it to a greater extent than others. They might experience more often. But when we use the language experience anxiety, it normalizes it. Mm. Whether, whereas when you described yourself as suffering okay. from anxiety, mm. it's completely different, Richard, completely mm. different. So also panic attack, the word panic 
in itself can generate a sense of anxiety. Mm. So again, if we if we think in terms of well, anxiety, number one is normal. It's a normal response to danger mm. and or perceived danger. And really, it's it's I know you're going to move on to what do we do about it. But part of that is really using language to help ourselves cope with it as best we can. Mm. So I have just experienced anxiety and then we move into the next piece of how to manage it. Yes. So, yeah, um, the first time I knowingly experienced anxiety, the we, the reason I say knowingly is because I've obviously mm. experienced it a hell of a lot of times. Like yes. you say, before going on stage, before going to perform, I, <laughs> like you did say before, I normally need to go to the toilet quite a lot. <laughs> yes. I need, yes. uh, I mean, I always put that down to, I also have to drink a lot of water before going on to sing yes. or, or, yes. or drink water during. But I know from when I was performing as a child that that's my response to yes. the nerves. So I so I have experienced anxiety all through. But the first time that I experienced, okay, that the the the, the heightened anxiety, that the, the the panic that I spoke of, yes. was was yes. then two years ago. And and when you think about it, didn't it make so much sense that you would? Because mm. the context, you know, you were in a situation with your partner, mm. where you. The, the meaning in my work, it's not what happens is important. It's the meaning of what happens. So so the meaning for both of you at that moment in time was that you were at death's door, literally. Yeah. And if you had been sitting there feeling wonderful and delighted and, you know, singing songs and um, happy songs and you might have sang sad songs, but happy songs, that would have seemed a bit odd. So I think anxiety gets gets bad press that we we think if we experience it then oh there's something wrong with us that it might be seen to be a weakness or something terrible and what happens with people who experience anxiety to the extent that you did and and described as a a panic attack is then what happens very quickly is the fear of getting another one and also the shame for some people having had experiences of anxiety in terms of how they've responded they kind of a huge sense of shame and that that in itself becomes a much 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 bigger thing for them to deal with rather than the actual anxiety mm. have you heard of people talking to their anxiety oh yes and what's that all about then <laughs> yeah um well well that's that's moving into how, how to manage it and, okay. and and a few moments ago you you referred to feelings and thoughts and behaviors and and I know you know this. <laughs> I know you know this, but um, for people who don't, that's that's they're the key points of a particular way of working called cognitive behavioral therapy (CBT). And C is thoughts, cognit- cognitions, or cognitions. B is our behavior, and T is therapy. And I came across CBT initially in 1988, and I had trained as a primary school teacher, and I was in my second year teaching and I had three children in my class that were age 10 who experienced anxiety to a fairly severe degree. And what I found it was reassuring them was not working, telling them they were fine, they were grand, don't worry, it doesn't matter. It just did not work. And I didn't know what else to do. So there were a few other reasons, but those three children were, were influential in my choosing to study psychology, go back to college to study psychology, to be a better teacher. I didn't know at the time that actually a lot of that was based, my interest in anxiety was based on my own experiences of anxiety as a child. I only discovered that as I got older. But back in 1988, in that first 
postgrad course, the first psychology course, I came across CBT for the first time. And I remember being really taken aback, Richard, because I had never heard of it. And yet here was something that was being used with people who had severe difficulties, severe depression, severe anxiety, severe eating disorders and so on. And as a teacher, I thought, well, why don't we teach these basic principles to people long before they have anxiety or depression or severe anxiety or severe depression or severe eating disorders or whatever it is as a means of either preventing the more severe difficulties or in helping them cope with it. So that's what that's my passion. That's what I've the journey I've been on since. And, and I love it. So CBT is really a very clear way of working and people sometimes criticize it as being a quick fix and there's no relationship. I mean, the core of anything therapeutic, as you know, is a respectful relationship. You can't have can't can't go in and buy milk, really, you know, in, an, in an enjoyable way without having a respectful relationship yeah. with the person and but particularly with ourselves as well. So so I've, do, you want, do you want me to go into how I explain CBT or, or not? Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. OK. OK. All right. Well, I've explained I've developed a very clear three-step approach. So the first is to draw an inverted triangle. So a triangle with the, the point pointing down, put whatever we're concerned about in. So if somebody is experiencing anxiety about COVID or um, performing or exams or going in to get a test, actually, if we go with the getting a test, so somebody notices that they have a mark on their skin and they think, oh my gosh, could this be cancer? And they feel anxious mm -hmm. and they either make an appointment to see a medical person or they ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it and worry and worry and worry. So if we take that as an example, because that's probably something that that practically everybody can relate to. Do, mm -hmm. Does that seem OK as mm -hmm. an example? So if we catch. So the thing is the mark. So we put the mark in the center. So what is the person thinking? Well, if it's got worse, they might be thinking, I should have done something about this before. And, and what if I'm making too much of a fuss about it? And what if it isn't anything? And what if I go to the doctor and he or she thinks, you know, I'm, I'm pathetic for making such a fuss. But what if I don't go? And what if, what if I don't go? And what if it gets worse? And what if it turns into cancer? And what if I'm told, well, if you went to the beginning, you could have been saved, but you have two days left to live. So they're all scary thoughts. We're writing all of those down. So when the person thinks each of those thoughts, how are they feeling? Well, they're feeling anxious. They might be feeling stupid, they might be feeling upset, they might be feeling really frightened, might be feeling embarrassed, ashamed. So writing, so on the top left of the triangle is the letter T, so T for thoughts. Mm -hmm. On the top right is F for feelings. And then at the bottom is A for action. So what is a person doing? So the person might be avoiding, might be procrastinating. They might be replaying movies in their head of the past. So the last time they had something and they went to the doctor and they felt so stupid and it turned out to be, you know, a mild cold rather than pneumonia. Um, so they might be replaying that. They might be watching movies in their head of the future. They might be anticipating going in and the doctor giving out to them for wasting his or her time. Or they might be anticipating that actually it's really serious and they only have three days left to live. They might be comparing their mark with previous marks or marks other people might have. They might be Googling, 
might be terrifying themselves by Googling. They mm. might be talking about it. They might not be. They might be completely denying that the mark is there. They might be um, doing something to make them feel better, like alcohol or nicotine or drugs or sugar or whatever else. And that could be a means of distracting as well. They might be talking about it. They might be talking about it incessantly to friends, family. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think I should go? What do you think? Looking for reassurance from people saying, it's okay, it's only a tiny little mark. No, you don't need to go. Or, oh my God, that's huge. Or, mm, that looks worrying. So that's literally catching what the person is thinking, how the person is feeling, and what the person is doing. Mm. In doing that, Richard, that can create anxiety or that can maybe escalate anxiety because it's confronting actually what is the person thinking? What are they feeling or how are they feeling? What are they doing? So the first step might not necessarily make people feel better. And actually, it's an interesting point because in my work as a clinical psychologist, a lot of people who come to me experience anxiety, maybe everybody, they want to feel better. They don't want to feel worse. They want to feel better. Mm. And my my experience of anxiety is that the treatment is similar to the treatment for cancer. Chemotherapy does not make people feel better initially, makes them feel worse. So with anxiety, when we confront anxiety, when we actually look and see what is going on here, we might not necessarily feel better. We might feel worse. So catching what we're thinking, how we're feeling, what we're doing might make someone feel worse. But it also might make them feel better in some ways because it could be, oh, gosh, they're my thoughts, they're my feelings, they're my actions. So separating it out. And then if there's someone who doesn't think anybody's going to be able to understand or it's not going to make any difference or nobody can help, they might not feel any different. So the first step of a three step process is catch what am I thinking? How am I feeling? What am I doing? The second step are four questions. So question one is, do my feelings make sense or does the person's feelings make sense? So again, going back to you and your partner sitting on the couch, feeling mm. frightened, waiting for the ambulance. Mm. Did it make sense for you to feel frightened then? Yeah. What do you think, Richard? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. Absolutely. If you're feeling happy, I'd have been worried about you. Well, unless you didn't particularly like your partner, but, you know, <laughs> um, but, you well. know, so so somebody who is genuinely concerned about a mark on their arm that they think might be cancerous, that they are afraid of getting it checked. Doesn't make sense for that person to feel anxious. Of course it does. Yeah. If they're thinking they're going to be laughed at or they're going to be wasting the doctor's time, does it make sense for them to feeling apprehensive, anxious, uneasy? Of course it does. If they're thinking, I should have done this long ago, and they're feeling angry with themselves, does it make sense for them to feel angry? Of course it does. So their feelings make sense. Okay, and there's a whole pile of other things around feelings that, that I won't go into. It's just giving an overview of this. The second question, so our feelings can be very difficult, but if if we recognize that they make sense because of either what's happening in our lives and or what we're thinking, then we can be kinder to ourselves about having them. So the second question then of the four is, are our thoughts helpful or unhelpful? Not positive or negative. If I'm in an airplane and the door falls off, a positive thought might be, great, we're getting some fresh air in. Not helpful in my view. Mm. So the tendency that we each have to think positively can actually backfire. So we can be focused on thinking positively, 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 and our feelings of anxiety can continue to escalate. So literally standing back, are our thoughts helpful? 
or unhelpful. The third question is, what do we believe? So when you were sitting on the couch with your partner, you might have believed that COVID was going to kill you. Mm. You might have really believed that. Somebody who has a mark on their arm might believe a mark on their arm means that they have cancer. Yeah. And the cancer is going to kill them immediately. They might believe that they're a nuisance, that they're not able to make a decision. They might believe that doctors have no time for people who are going in with a mark on their arm. They might believe they're um, going to be in the way or they might believe that to be very, 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 very sick, you have to be at death's door. I don't know. So whatever they believe tends to be rooted in beliefs that they established when they were little, when they were age three or four or five core beliefs. Mm. And those are very basic and they're usually beliefs around that they're not good enough or they must never waste anyone's time or other people are more important than them or they just don't know anyway. They have to ask other people. And the beauty of this question, what do they believe, is just because they believe whatever they believe doesn't mean it's true, as you discovered with the ambulance driver. Just because you might have believed that to experience anxiety to the extent that you did equaled almost dying. Mm. Actually, no, it was something completely different. It was a normal response to anxiety at a very heightened level. So whatever people believe doesn't mean it's true. So maybe doctors are much happier with people coming in at an early stage with a mark on their arm. Maybe having a diagnosis of cancer does not mean death in three days time. And the fear of death and the anxiety around death can underlie a lot of our anxieties anyway. And so the, the, so the key thing then is what are we going to do? So action. So if you think of an inverted triangle, the arrow, the, the arrow pointing down mm-hmm. like an arrow. So the direction, are our actions helpful or unhelpful? And this is what we've control over. Not our thoughts, not our feelings, not our beliefs even. So whatever we believe doesn't mean it's true, but our actions might be helpful. So procrastinating, denying, avoiding, none of those are helpful. Mm. Making an appointment and going to the doctor and getting it checked, facing our fears, it's actually very helpful. Yeah. So taking action, taking helpful action. So three steps. So the first is catch what we're thinking, how we're feeling, what we're doing. The second are those four questions. Do our feelings make sense? Are our thoughts helpful? What do we believe? And are our actions helpful or unhelpful? And then the third step is what I've called the ABC coping sentence. Mm -hmm. A, acknowledge, I feel anxious. I feel a bit stupid. I feel upset. I feel scared because I think I might be a nuisance to the doctor or because I think I might have cancer or because I think I might have a mark that could grow and grow and grow or because I think I should have done something about this a long time ago and it's now too late and the reason I put I think in is because and I usually put I think in brackets is because most a lot of the time it's our own thoughts that cause us to feel anxious Mm. but not always or to feel upset or to feel pain if I was beside you Richard and I stood on your toe you would feel pain Mm-hmm. Not because you thought I did, but because I did. So so sometimes we can give ourselves a hard time because we think like the ambulance driver said to you, it's in your head. And we think, well, if it's in our head, then then we're stupid. Then we're making it up. Then it's ridiculous. 
But actually, our own thoughts are so powerful mm-hmm. that, yes, we can, it can be in our head, but the feelings can be so intense. So A, acknowledge, I feel upset. B, because I think this could be worse than, than I think it is. And then C is choose. But what do I choose to do? So I choose to breathe slowly. And there's a breathing exercise I, I love teaching. So if you tighten your non-dominant hand right now, so if you're right-handed, you're left and vice versa, yeah. into a fist and now relax it. And now as you breathe in, tighten your hand really tightly. So breathing in, holding your breath, two, three, and then breathing out, relaxing your hand as you breathe out. Breathing in, tightening your hand as you breathe in, hold, and breathing out, relaxing your hand as you breathe out. Breathing in, tightening your hand as you breathe in, and breathing out, relaxing it. I'd like you to do that exercise three more times, Richard, if you would, please. Mm -hmm. And this time, think a helpful thought, and I'll tell you what it is. So tighten, breathe in, think I choose to breathe slowly, hold two, three, and breathing out. Again, breathing in, I choose to breathe slowly, hold two, three, and breathing out. And once more, breathing in, I choose to breathe slowly, hold two, three, and breathing out. Richard, did you notice any difference from when you did the exercise the first time to the second time? Uh, I, I suppose the first time I was thinking, where's this going? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. And then if you're thinking that, you might have been feeling patient. Yeah. You might have feeling, yeah. Okay. Not necessarily this... impatient, but I was thinking, oh, what, ooh, what's mm. to come? So I suppose. Yeah. Was, or you might have been feeling curious. curious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And what about the second time then when you were thinking, I choose to breathe slowly? Um, I felt clear. I, fe- I actually feel really relaxed on one side of my body. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 Brilliant. It's less, less of the unknown. The second time, okay. I suppose, yes. is, is what was going okay. on. Okay, and, and I love that exercise for a few reasons. So if you pictured yourself sitting on the couch with your partner yeah. and you, mm-hmm. you're doing that breathing exercise, mm-hmm. I choose to breathe slowly, as opposed to sitting there thinking, oh my God, what, 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 if, I, what if I'm really sick? What if I don't come back? What if, what if people see the state of my bedroom? What if I don't ever get to finish what I really wanted to do. Thinking I choose to breathe slowly can actually, it, it does, not just it can, it actually calms you down, calms me down. I mm. choose to breathe slowly. Our brain is focused on that. And if we're thinking I choose to breathe slowly, we cannot at the same time think, oh my gosh, what, what if, what if, what if. Also, the tightening our hand gives us something to do and relaxing. So it can become the trigger. So if we're in a situation where we're feeling anxious, literally tightening our non-dominant hand. Why do the non-dominant slowly? I remember coming across years and years ago, something about that. If we tighten our dominant hand, it goes to the part of our brain that goes, this isn't going to work. Whereas if we do our non-dominant hand, it taps into the part of our brain that goes, oh, okay, I choose to read slowly. Right. So I don't know, but I've always I've always stuck with the non-dominant hand. 
we we, um, we did in a child work uh, during our training, and we had to use our non-dominant hand. I was wondering if it was if it was connected. Oh, it in could, some way. yes, yes, it could well be. I mean, there's a wonderful book, um, left hand, right hand writing or drawing or something. I, might, I haven't got the title right, but. I'd often use a non-dominant hand with people and, and even getting in, suggesting that they you know, maybe have a crayon in their non-dominant hand and a pen in their um, dominant hand and they, they have a conversation with each other and it can be fascinating to see what comes out. So, yeah, there's so much well, that I don't know, so I'm not sure why, but I think it's, it's more powerful using the non-dominant mm-hmm. hand. So I feel upset because I think the doctor might be too busy to see me or I feel worried because I think I might have a really, really, really terrible skin cancer. Um, and then somebody might feel stupid because they didn't wear a factor 50, you know, the last time they were in old days. So again, this is where the meaning of it is individual to each of us. But I choose to breathe slowly. But there's other ones. But I choose to take my power back from the anxiety facing it. But I but maybe I'll be OK. But I choose to act in a way that's helpful. And, and as you were doing the breathing exercise, I could feel myself becoming a little bit anxious, beca- very anxious, because I'm going to say something that I've I've never done before. But I'm I've written a few books on this mm-hmm. and there's a, a fourth book coming out next spring on the ABC coping sentence. So I've never publicly promoted my work in this way before. And so I feel anxious in saying that, but I'm really looking forward to that book being published because there's lots and lots of different options for the ABC coping sentence. And um, it's a very simple book. And on one side of it, there's I choose to take my power back. And then on the other side, there's a paragraph explaining why I'm suggesting that. And then the other thing that I've developed is for, for me to explain all of this in detail, it usually takes about an hour and a half. So I have different stories I've developed. And about two years ago, I thought, why don't I do a video of it? And then I do it once and then people can look at the video and then I don't have to I don't have to worry about it again. I don't have to keep saying the same stories over and over because I, I, I wanted them to have a freshness. I didn't want to lose my own energy and passion around it. So what turned into what was 90 minutes turned into a two and a half hour video program. So just in the last week, that's been made available on my website for people to download for a month for 150 euro to give the license to whoever they want to give the password to whoever they want to give it within those 30 days. So I'm encouraging schools, institutions to for one person or one organization to get it and then to pass it to their staff, to their teachers. Mm. So if one person listening to you has a group of friends and they think, well, that's too much for us right now, well, then they each contribute whatever it is. And then they get it and they share the password around among themselves or their friends. Mm. And the reason I'm saying that is if somebody else had developed it and I come across it, I would be singing its praises. Mm. It's because I've developed it. (laughs) I feel myself really anxious about it. And I didn't actually say this to you beforehand to get your permission to see because I had no intention I was going to say this, Richard. It's absolutely fine. So you can delete it. (laughs) No, no, no. No, you can I, you can delete feel, this bit if you want. <laughs> I feel the need to dig into why you feel so. 
<laughs> yes, I know. And I can feel my anxiety level going wild. And it's interesting because you have just done what is lovely to get reassurance. You're saying it's absolutely fine, Claire, and it's lovely to get it, but I don't believe it. Mm. And this is why reassurance doesn't work, because if we don't believe something, then it's it's not true. Um, oh, oh, I meant it's absolutely fine to promote. No, it's absolutely yes, fine yes, to yes. feel. Uh, oh, no, 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 I know. No, that's that's what I understood. That is absolutely fine to promote. But I suppose part of maybe my makeup would be self praise is no praise. Okay. So so that phrase. So who do you think you are? You know, who who do you think you are to be setting yourself up as you know an expert in whatever it is? Um, but mostly they, yeah, who who yeah both. Who do you think you are? And the self praise is no praise. So it's a huge huge thing for me to actually face my fear of maybe not so much rejection, but my my anxiety around um, people will think I'm too big for my boots or people will think I'm I'm just on this podcast just to sell my own products. I'm just, you know, I'm using Richard in some way or I'm exploiting or, you know, so. So, yeah, it's actually very helpful to voice that, Richard, because I know it's there. And I've never actually verbalized it because I've never, because <laughs> I've never actually, I, I mean, I've been to loads and loads of talks over the years and people have had their books down at the back for, for people to sell. Yeah. My publishers have asked me to do that over the years and I've said, absolutely no, no. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, I, I've, I've, noticed, always... I've noticed that you said that it was on your website, but you haven't given your website. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So my website is um, the three W's, www.drclairehays.ie. And drclaries.com, I think as well, but .ie. And my website, yeah, it's interesting. It's like um, a shop window that I'm really embarrassed about. That, so it's in in the the process of being made better, and it's been in that process since the day I started it. So I'm actually getting a new website. I think in the next few, whenever days, weeks, months. Um, my website man is working on it, and the delay is my embarrassment about the self-promotion piece and my anxiety, you know, and I think we all experience anxiety. Somebody else listening would be going, Claire, don't be so ridiculous, you know, wah. But maybe from a performer point of view, you might relate to it, though, in some ways, because I've worked with incredibly talented artists, incredibly, um, whether they're they're painting artists or whether they're musicians or um, I suppose Eva Cassidy is probably one of the, the most famous mm. who was incredibly shy and who really did not want to have her work out there recorded. And, and it was only after she died mm. that so much of her work became known. So um, I suppose what's pushing me to fight through my own reluctance around it is because deep, deep down, I love what I do and it's so important and it makes such a difference. It absolutely makes such a difference. And that I can relate I'm, to, yeah, and I'm. I'm worried that there's too much of a swing in terms of people misunderstanding what it is to experience anxiety and that too many people are labeling themselves as having mental health difficulties or issues or challenges or suffering from mental health because of um, because of what's actually a normal reaction to either stress or what we perceive as stress Mm -hmm. and the the emphasis has, I, I think we've got out of balance and I've certainly worked with so many parents who are worried about their young people. They're worried that because their young people are feeling unhappy that they're going to take their own life. 
And actually, Richard, if you don't mind, I know this is about anxiety, but anxiety and depression are linked. And I'd love to share with you and your listeners my understanding of the whole piece around suicide, because the fear of suicide is paralyzing and crippling some people, but it's also holding a lot of people to ransom. They're they're afraid to ask for someone to behave in a respectful way or an appropriate way because they don't want to upset them because they might go and take their own life. So is, is that OK if I just talk about this absolutely. for a few moments? It's absolutely OK. OK, so if we go back to the, the triangle. So how I explain it, I say to people often when I work with people and it is often often when I work with people, they might tell me when they feel however they feel. So they feel ashamed or they feel upset or they feel overwhelmed or they feel anxious that they have other thoughts in their head like they've had enough or they wish they weren't here or they prefer to be dead. Those kind of thoughts. And I check out, you know, have you had those kind of thoughts? And people might tell me, yes, they have or no, they haven't. And if they say, yes, I have, I say, well, thank you for telling me. And if they say, no, they haven't, I say, that's great. But, you know, you might at some time in your life because they're actually very common. And there's a lot of confusion about these thoughts. So some people think if they have them, they're suicidal and they label themselves as suicidal and they talk about feeling suicidal. And... In my view, there is no such thing as feeling suicidal. They're thoughts. So people can have those thoughts. They can feel worried, upset, embarrassed, ashamed or relieved. The people who feel relieved are the people I worry about. But most people in my experience who have had thoughts like that really do genuinely feel so scared. So just because people think they're better off dead, number one, does not mean they're suicidal. And number two, does not mean they have to take their own life. There are always, always options. The tragedy is too many people don't know that. And in the past, people have died not because they were suicidal, but because they thought they were, particularly if they had alcohol in their system. So alcohol takes the brakes off mm. and and also drugs, other other substances. So if we stand back and I encourage people not to ask anyone if they're feeling suicidal, there is no such thing in my view. So to focus on their thoughts. So, yes. They have the thoughts, so they can be very frightening thoughts. Mm-hmm. So have they plans made? Are they going to take their own life? And people often say to me, oh, gosh, no. I said, OK, so then we don't have to worry about them. So you have horrible, upsetting thoughts. OK, mm. but what's happening is that people are so scared of those thoughts and scared of other people having them and scared of other people feeling unhappy that the focus is we all have to feel brilliant. So if we're feeling anxious or down or upset, are angry, well, we shouldn't feel like that. So if we come back to, does it make sense? Yes, it does. We're human. We're normal. We make mistakes. We feel stupid. We say things we didn't mean to say. We feel embarrassed, upset. We start thinking about what could be scary in the future and we think we're not going to be able to cope and we feel anxious. So our feelings are normal. That's part of being human. Our heads can just race and really, really scare us. We can believe core beliefs around ourselves not being good enough. It's not okay to look after ourselves in whatever way, or um, it's better to, I don't know, play small. Um, Marianne Williamson has a wonderful quotation, a lovely piece around that about we're not doing anyone any favors by playing small. So I suppose this is part of my challenge in my life, standing and owning my experience, my qualifications, my passion, in a visible way to help other people and managing my own anxieties around, oh, but what if they think whatever they think? You know what? I hope your listeners will be kind 
and if they have thoughts like that that that's okay i can i hopefully won't know anyway <laughs> um but if i do i've the but i'm using with lots of people and it's actually very helpful for me in this moment i, I feel a bit apprehensive a bit anxious because i really am talking about things that are very personal to me mm. but i choose to be kind to myself but i choose to remember i am more than this i'm more than my own opinions of myself i'm more than other people's opinions and actually the one that really is resonating right now but my work is more important right now than however i feel and that is so true <laughs> wow gosh richard i really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to just go through all of that that's really really helpful for me personally and i hope for your listeners I th- yeah, me too. Um, you, you mentioned, I mean, that, that's that, it's, it's it's beautiful, and I'm, I, um, you asked if you could, you know, talk about these things. Absolutely, I, I feel blessed to be sat here listening, <laughs> listening to your expertise. Um, one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times is like sugar and alcohol and, mm-hmm. and things like that. What what sort of I, I don't know modern day, not the modern day, but what sort of um. What sort of things can can heighten or lessen anxiety and and or depression? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the well, the the alcohol. You see, th- if we think of what makes us feel better, mm-hmm. what gives us an instant hit of feeling better? So mm-hmm. sugar does certainly mm-hmm. does for me. Um, alcohol does for some other people. Drugs does for some people. And um, they might think, yeah, that's great. They feel better. But then that sets up a dependency, a craving. And then we have three really important words, intensity, frequency, duration. How much do people have to take to feel better? How intense is their, their experience or intense is, is what's happening and how long does it happen? I might not be popular with, with a lot of people for, for what I'm going to say next, but I encourage people to actually cut alcohol out completely, 100% completely for three months mm-hmm. and see what happens. And some people are surprised they actually discover they can't do it and i say you know if you can't do it you might have a problem and i've given up asking teenagers you know in terms and young people in their their 20s and now i suppose as i get older that age gets older as well late people late 20s 30s how much do they drink because the the common response was you know normal the same as everybody else Mm. but when i checked out what normal was well it certainly didn't fit with my understanding of normal and my GP, um, going back to the example of, you know, the, the arm, mark on your arm, um, I went to GP one point and, and I was talking to her about breast cancer and um, risks related with HRT because there's a lot of confusion about that. And that's something you never have to worry about. But um, she said something which I, I was really shocked by. Well, she indirectly said, I did. My, that's okay. what my mum had breast cancer and, and, uh, and she couldn't have the HRT uh, uh, the oh, first sorry. time around I'm talking this is this is uh, yes. uh, nearly 20 years ago ah, yeah. okay oh well then you see but, there but you go. that's good learning as well in, in mm. terms of making assumptions which is 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 something but but um but there has been a link whether it's true or not um that can create anxiety so if somebody is on HRT then they're at a higher risk of breast cancer so I asked my GP about that and looking at options whether I would go on HRT or not. And she said, well, actually, women who drink two glasses of wine a week are at a higher risk of breast cancer mm. than women who are on HRT. Now, I'm quoting her, so I don't have the, the, the science to back that up. Mm-hmm. But that's that's what my GP told me. And I was really shocked by that. Um, 
I thought, wow, I know, I know lots of people who drink, you know, a bottle of wine on a Friday night to feel better. And it's become yeah. associated with, mm. oh, I've had a tough week. This is my reward. So I know, though, alcohol affects mood. There's no doubt about it. So it yeah. can be a downer. It can give people, a, you know, a high, but then the next day they feel bad. Mm. Also, the actions that people take as a consequence of being an alcohol can afterwards make them feel very down if they've acted in a way that's inappropriate or inconsistent with their own values. Um, it also leaves people vulnerable to being taken advantage of, being sexually exploited, being manipulated. So there's so many reasons um, why alcohol is not actually helpful in, in lots of ways and drugs the same. And I know cocaine and um, cannabis has become for lots of people, the norm, um, a way of unwinding, a way of, of managing their stresses. Again, I can't emphasize enough how destructive both the behavior of relying on something like that and the consequences of the actual substance can be. And mm. um, sugar as well. I mean, sugar affects our mood. Sugar affects our weight. Um, Caffeine. I went to a talk years and years ago on the effects of caffeine. I sound like a real killjoy now at this stage. No, not at all. Because I'm sat here with my. Um, I, 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 it's a, it's a shake with, with blended banana, but I've got ca coffee in it. And I okay. was thinking, should I really have a strong coffee drink whilst I'm talking about anxiety? So you're not talking about. <laughs> you're not yeah. sounding like a killjoy. I was already okay. thinking. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really interesting. I went to a talk given by um, a doctor, um, Jack, not Jack Kevin, Jack. Jack Jacobs, I think, anyway, years and years ago. And I'd had a beautiful cappuccino before this talk. And it was at a psychology AGM and he was a guest speaker. And I'm trying to think of his name. That's my hesitation, but I let that go. And um, my anxiety going, oh, people think I'm not professional. And I'm, you know, anyway, <laughs> let that go. It'll come back to me. So I, at the time, for many, many, many years, was um, experiencing, I'd experienced migraine to a very, very severe extent. And good friends of mine who were both doctors had told me to start taking very strong coffee when I got migraine. I used to drink coffee much, but I got into the pattern of taking really strong coffee, really, really strong coffee. They say caffeine is in migraine prescriptions. So when he started to talk about how really, really dangerous caffeine or caffeine is, um, he talked about caffeine. I asked him a question, so I'll tell you the question in a moment. But he talked about how the nicotine companies had developed how to fudge research data and the caffeine companies came along and followed it. So he said, so when there's research to say that drinking X amount of coffee of caffeine a week does this and this and this, it makes you feel better. They're not actually researching that with people like me who haven't drank coffee in years and years and years. Yeah. So anyway, he was he was very, very convincing, really convincing. So my question at the end, and I prefaced it with, I have just had my last cup of coffee and people laughed. Yeah. And I asked him if caffeine is so bad, why is it in migrant prescriptions? So his answer was very convincing as well. And that literally was my last cup of coffee. And the following day I was um, on a long awaited trip in, to Paris with a very good friend of mine and we were on a bus tour bus going around Paris and I had the worst headache I've ever had in my entire life and she was begging me to take medication mm. and begging me to take strong coffee and I said no 
I've just had my last cup of coffee. And, and that phrase worked. And after about a week, my headache lifted and I've never had migraine to the same extent. So speaking personally, I know the the impact of caffeine and I didn't realize I was massively overdosing. So this man said people think they have to have their first cup of coffee in the day to get themselves mm. better. But he said if they do what I did, if they go through the withdrawal symptoms, well, actually, their energy levels are so much better that they don't need that coffee. Mm-hmm. And he said tea is just as bad. So mm. he drinks, he um, decaffeinated tea or certainly did at the time. Mm. Yeah, I'm normally on decaffeinated coffee and decaffeinated tea. But um, mm. I... Uh, I woke up really early this morning at like five o'clock and couldn't get back to sleep. So I thought I'm going to need caffeine. But yeah, yeah, like what you've just been saying, if that was completely out of my system, I possibly would have been fine or I possibly wouldn't have woken up early. Right. Because I did have yes, a tea yeah. late last night. Yeah, well, it's amazing. I remember somebody saying that if sugar was um, discovered now, that it wouldn't get past any of the health regulations, mm. you know. Um, so, yes, yeah, so yeah, my brother says that quite a lot. You know, he, he tried to keep, he tried his best to keep the majority of sugar out of, their, out of my nephews and nieces, his diet and, and, and stuff like that. And because they're not used to it, they weren't craving it. Yes. Yes. So it's, it's, it's balance, though, really. So I choose to have a balance in my life. And I, I, I love the power of the word choose because I say to people um, sometimes, if you turn up to get on a plane or a train or a bus, your job is to get there, make sure you're in the right place and pay your fare. Mm-hmm. But your job is not to drive the plane or steer the bus or if I got those right, steer mm. the plane, drive <laughs> the bus. Anyway, it's not it's not to be the, the pilot or the the train driver, the taxi driver. So if we have thoughts in our heads, I should have, I didn't, I have to, I can't, I won't. We're going on a particular journey. And if we have thoughts in our head, I choose, I choose to have a balance in my life. I choose to give myself every chance. I choose to be kind to myself. Mm. Well, then we're going on a different journey. And the kindness is so important because, again, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about depression. For me, the common denominator is anger. And it's usually anger turned inwards where people are feeling so angry at themselves, with themselves for experiencing whatever they're experiencing. So, you know, after when you described yourself sitting on the couch and the ambulance man came and ambulance people came and they went. Can you remember afterwards, Richard, when when you realized that, you know, he said it's all in your head? Did you feel stupid? Did you feel relieved? No, I felt stupid. I, I, I was thinking this before when you were saying it, because I feel stupid even saying it. But there was a part of me that was, when he was saying it, I was almost thinking, no, 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 don't tell me that I'm imagining it. Tell me it's real. And that's really weird because the reality would be me dying. So why would I want yes. them to say that? But yes. Yeah. But that was the, yeah, no, abso- the, the abso- weird thoughts that were going on in my head. I'd rather that than, than feel so stupid to have to say, oh, yeah, I imagined it all. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that's what happens every day when people leave a GP surgery, mm-hmm. feeling stupid because they thought they, they thought or they, they might think that they were wasting the doctor's time because yeah. they didn't have, you know, or they weren't sent for tests. And it is, you know, when we stand back and look at it, it's like, wow, why, where did we learn that stuff? Rather than feeling so proud of ourselves that we were proactive to go in and get a uh, mark. I'd love if somebody listened to this. <laughs> takes a step and goes to a GP because if they've got a mark on their arm and discovers that it's nothing and they don't have to worry about it anymore or discovers that actually you know what it's something that could be could have turned into something sinister if they had left it that'd be lovely 
hope that they will yeah yeah mm. absolutely um you were saying about the um you sounding like a killjoy when you were talking about the caffeine and you just talked mm. about the alcohol i find it's it's because i don't i don't really drink alcohol maybe once a year or something uh if somebody gives me a glass and um and i find that people make assumptions so i'm either like you say a killjoy or boring or yes. I have a problem, a past problem, or, or it, you know, I'm a, yes. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Or people make yes. these assumptions, and it's. And I spoke to, um, oh, what, uh, Janie Lee Grace from Radio Two on a previous episode, and she um, started up something called the Sober Club, uh, and and she says this similar thing. It was it was it was a it wasn't like she was um in inverted commas an alcoholic she just realized that she was saying phrases like oh it's wine o'clock and it's friday so i must have a bottle of wine and stuff like that and then realized hang on a minute i don't need that and then when she and and she realized how much her her life changed afterwards um so people are you know that we can choose not to drink alcohol without it being um but but then there will be these assumptions around and it sometimes can I, i feel put people off make people read for that glass and oh, go on then I'll have a, I'll have a glass I, absolutely the expectations you know mm. and and you know I you know I'm Irish and and the, the cultural piece about the the drunken Irish person and oh you must drink and I I don't drink and like you maybe the odd glass of wine and and um at Christmas but I've even mm. stopped doing that because I just hear myself say so often about you know encouraging people not to drink alcohol that I just don't see any benefits to mm. it anymore and I, I drink hot water and, and I'm, I much prefer if I'm going out for, for a meal to have a, a, a glass of hot water beside me. Um, but that sounds lovely, actually. The, yeah, no, I, no I, I, I really like it. Um, uh-huh. I just it's sometimes if I'm in a coffee shop and I'm having hot water, you know, I kind of feel obliged to go and buy a cake or something as well. <laughs> and I'm so that I'm not, you know, seen as the other way. But oh, you're so mean. But often there's the expectation that people drink i remember going on a sailing trip a number of years ago a fabulous budget holiday around the greek islands and i was a student and there was nobody there and i thought oh gosh i wonder if i've been been had or you know is there actually such a thing and and he was he said oh he was on his way he was in the shop buying alcohol for me and i said no you don't need to do that it's okay and he came with crates of beer and he said, but you're Irish. And I said, yes, but I don't drink alcohol. I've never had that. And I'm not going to have it now. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. So I'm confident in saying that, that I didn't have to please him. You know, that, oh, he'd spent all this money and he got it. And, you know, if, if, if I had a drink, he'd have a drink. And then he'd feel better. I'd feel better because he felt good. And, you know, thankfully, I've never bought into that. And my parents are wonderful. And, and when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was allowed to take the car. So I was a chauffeur for my friends going off to discos. So it was just accepted that I didn't drink. And, and yeah, that that's was great. But I see now. The, yeah. So so I see now the pressure, though, that, that you know, young people in their late teens, 20s, when I'm suggesting to them that they, they give up alcohol or they don't drink it for three months, I can see the panic in their eyes that, mm. no, because then they're not going to fit in, because then other people would think they're this and this and this and this. And they're, you know, and, and, and as you said, that they, that they have a problem or they're going to be boring or. And one of the, I suppose, one of the, the truths for people who 
have a drinking problem who are alcoholics who when they have treatment and they come out and they're no longer drinking is the reality is it's important for them to change their friends because or to get certainly get new friends who don't drink or go to places that aren't pub related because the pressure can be really difficult so yeah that's I think that's a conversation that that we need to have more and more and more people need to have yeah I, I, I agree um, yeah but um, it, it sounds very similar to I mean what you were saying about driving your friends around and stuff and, and that shock oh what give up alcohol yeah i can i can i can see that in my friends faces and 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 people's faces when i say oh no i haven't drunk since uh i haven't drunk properly since september 2016 um yes and and the the shock on people's faces and like you say if if you suggest anything to them oh you know why didn't you why didn't you not do it for is it a dry january that that people do or something like that and they all yes the jokes that that uh probably born out of things like uh anxiety or, or the the you know the unknown around it that, that it's, it's just like yes. this most this most almost impossible thing we can't give up alcohol for a month <laughs> and it's oh, yes you, yes you really could you could try you could try well i i turned that around um I, I, it, sorry in my head i was going well the, the reason is can be a fear of other people's reactions and anxiety around it and miss um and, and i turned that around into terms of well, what would it be like for you to see yourself taking your own power back and being not needing to be part of the gang, not needing to have that substance to make you feel better, not mm-hmm. needing it and um, not needing to. to um, so then you can see somebody going, oh, oh, gosh, I can be my own person. I don't mm-hmm. have to just because the rest of them do it. I don't have to. So they start to feel better by saying no, as opposed to feeling deprived and, you know, ridiculous or less than or whatever whatever might have been going on for them beforehand but yeah, yeah it's great to hear you hear you say that Richard it really is it's do you know what this has been one of the most interesting if not the most interesting episode of the podcasts that I've done I don't know if that's a selfish reason because I've learned so much and I feel really privileged to be sat here listening um but either way it's just been it's been amazing and I, I want to thank you again for joining me um but I'm aware that you've got breakfast to go to <laughs> <laughs> it's okay yes yes no, my 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 sister's calling for a late breakfast so um yes it's not that I've just got up and I did notice I was in awe about it and the email you sent me earlier I thought what time did he get up at? and I had this image of you know you haven't gone off for a five mile walk and meditating and you know <laughs> normally but so, today I was too um, tired to do either of those I, I was considering going to the gym <laughs> when I got up at half past five I thought do you know what? Right. I could go to the gym but then I thought I didn't go to bed until gone 12 I don't have the energy okay. I'm going to take it easy and go easy on myself because yeah. we can punish ourselves for yes. so much in this modern day oh, life oh absolutely and you know back to basics sleep is so important getting mm. a balance sleep exercise diet you know they're they're the three things and fun having some fun Mm. Richard I want to thank you for inviting me to do this I've really enjoyed it and I've got it's been very very beneficial for me personally and I really hope it is for the people who have been who will be listening to it Mm, me too so in Irish we say um I know you do you speak Welsh a little bit very small a little bit okay well in Ireland we all learn um, they are learning the Irish language is compulsory in schools mm. so that might be a surprise to some of your listeners no no it is in so Wales we, but I was raised just over we, the border yeah. in England so. ah 
but no, but the Welsh people, I think, are more open. More people are more proud of speaking their mm. their, their native language. It's it's certainly increasing in Ireland. I'm very proud of of, of our language. So in Ireland, we say um, there's a phrase, "Gurmila Mahagath," and so that's a thousand thanks to you and then to your listeners who have been listening, "Gurmila Mahagath." So a thousand thanks to them. That's and beautiful. I wish you the very best with your, your podcast and with your own work and with your own life, Richard. And I hope our paths cross again. I, Me I too. really enjoyed I just thinking that meeting I, with you. Yeah, it's been absolutely, it, it's been stunning listening to your accent and your voice and I could listen to you forever. Um, but And yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I hope our paths cross again and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll come over to Ireland and we'll, we'll have a, a hot water together. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to that. <laughs> you Great. take care of yourself. Okay, you too, Richard. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot.